You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can hear all of our episodes over on firstpaw.media. Make sure you check us out on social media under the same name. And do us a favor and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this episode and tell your family and friends. So we are continuing our coverage or our review, if you will, of The Underdogs. It's a podcast produced by Outside In Radio, part of the New Hampshire public radio system up there. Very well done series. If you have not listened to the series, uh, pause right here and go back and listen to that wherever you're listening to your podcast. And do us a favor and listen to our episode one, so we'll catch you up to speed. So we'll be here when you get back, for sure. So on episode two, the title is, It Has to Be Earned. We pick up the story with uh, Jody Bailey and Dan Caduce, who own Dewclaw Kennels up in Fairbanks, and their dealings with Kurt Pirano. He was a New Zealand musher who got himself in a little bit of hot water by making a handshake deal with Jody and Dan to watch their dogs and sort of left uh, things on the table, if you will. He he refu- He or his wife uh, either refused, didn't have the money. Who knows what uh, the excuse was, but they made excuse after excuse for uh, for not paying for the dogs, and it just got deeper and deeper. But also in this episode, we're introduced to a old school musher. Her name is Jamie Nelson. I've met her many times over the years. I used to live in northern Minnesota, and Jamie was the one that everybody knew in the mushing community. And when I say old school, she was old school, and she was the one that got uh, Kurt involved with distance mushing, or at least the United States way of distance mushing at her kennel in Minnesota. She used to do what she used to call mushing boot camps back in the day, and she would have folks like Kurt or anybody else that are interested in in the sport of mushing come up, spend the weekend or a week or whatever it was, and and really, really fine-tune their craft. And during this time... Uh, Jamie took Kurt under her wing, if you will, and became her mentor, his mentor, and eventually sold her, in quotes, a group of dogs that uh, eventually became his Iditarod and Yukon Quest team and ended up several years later at the Dewclaw Kennel. 
And surprise, surprise, he did not pay for those dogs either. And that's where we're going to jump into this episode right here. And this time, we are going to start with Michelle. Ooh, that was quite a bit. So I would first off like to say a few things about Miss Nelson. She ran the Bear Grease in 1984 and did not complete it, but she certainly completed it in 85, 86, 87, and 88. And we hold her in pretty high regard in our household. Uh, she is, in my opinion, Robert, maybe you could say I'm wrong, but I would call her the mother of the Bear Grease. That's a good title. Yeah, I like that. Anyhow, I feel the most disdain for what happened to Jamie in this entire uh, onslaught of, well, I, I have a bad word to say, but I won't say it because we're a child-friendly show. But I feel that <laughs> Jamie was the most harmed in this entire situation. So, yeah, I mean, she opened up her home and her kennel to these people through her mushing boot camp, as Robert mentioned, and um, taught them the way. And they abused the way. They took her, they took her dogs. They thought she was not worth her weight, if you will. They didn't think that she had any uh, way to come after them. And uh, lo and behold, it was Nate, Robert, that actually found some uh, proof for her that she could actually use to gain some of her money back. Yeah, it, it was one heck of a story. And uh, boy, th this is one heck of a ride. And, and let's turn it over to Tony. What do you think about episode two? Uh, what are your thoughts? And I'm sure you, you were on pins and needles as you were listening to a lot of this. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I just want to give props to Nate because he had to... Like we said, Jamie is a very old school musher. So some of her um, verbiage, some of her explanations on training um, may shock some fans. Uh, if you're a longtime fan, you kind of understand it a little bit more. Um, but, you know, Nate did a very good job of explaining old school versus more of what we see now in dog mushing training. Um, but he was very respectful to Jamie, her knowledge, her understanding of sled dogs. So I, I just want to give props. You know, he, he went in very open-minded, even though he acknowledged that he'd heard all of the same tropes that so many others have heard um, about the underbelly of dog mushing and the sport of dog mushing, especially when it relates to Iditarod and the Yukon Quest. Um, but, you know, it just, I, as, as Michelle is saying, you know, Jamie was hit harder in some ways or in most ways uh, more so than, than Jody and Dan. Um, Jamie said throughout the podcast interview that she felt that, that Jody and Dan got the bigger brunt of, the the bad stuff than she did she kept uh referring to you know i didn't have to deal with all the stuff that they did um you know and she kind of just chalked up the the loss the the financial loss uh of not being paid for the dogs as just being like well that was my own stupidity for only doing a handshake um you know she just takes everything in stride she is that 
that stereotypical old school musher that I just have a soft spot for those types of mushers because they, they just live that lifestyle in such a way that I don't think we can really fathom in today's uh, sport. Michelle, you have a follow-up to, to Tony? Yeah, I mean, so the old school ways I have, when I first got into dog mushing or when I first was introduced to dog mushing, um, I met a couple that still used the same type of training that Jamie uh, used to teach Kurt and Floor's wild Malamute how to behave and run in the line. Malamutes and Huskies do not get along. And I don't know if any of you guys know this, but I had Malamutes when Robert met me and we tried to incorporate them into our Siberian Husky teams. (laughs) And we met the same type of mistake that Jamie was correcting in Curtin Floor's dog. Um, I had a female Malamute um, and I had a male Malamute. My male Malamute was a wolf hybrid and he was too big to run at all with the Siberians, but my female was smaller and she was a uh, purebred. And, um, so we put her in wheel and I mean, the moment we put her in wheel, she immediately popped that hook and dragged that sled and attacked the, um, lead dog. And she did it over and over again. And, this musher that was um, uh, giving us dogs and things told us to take the water hose to the dog. And we did not. I just simply removed my dog and we no, no longer ran her with the team. So there are definite changes to how we train dogs now than the way that they were doing back then. But um, I think that Robert would like to say his part. Yeah, up, up to this point in episode two, we're, we're getting sort of the full story about how the Piranos sort of operated up to this point. Uh, uh, the, the Nate and the outside end crew had continuously reached out to, to those guys with, with little avail. And we'll talk a little bit about that in episode three. At this point, they were owing, I think it was about $32,000 to Jody and the Duclaw Kennel. And about eighteen thousand ish dollars to Jamie for these dogs that eventually ended up at uh, at Duclaw Kennel. So quite a bit of money, well over fifty thousand dollars in unpaid transactions to this point, and nothing is coming of it. And uh, the Piranos are making excuse after excuse of being in accidents and brain cancer and all these sorts of other excuses that again are not necessarily uncommon uh, in these types of deals. I've heard these same excuses over and over from other people that I've dealt with in in my mushing career. It seems that uh, everybody gets in an accident when money is owed. I don't know why that would make a difference, but I guess I guess it does. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it, it, it's just it's just snowballing. And what's interesting, according to uh, Nate Hedgie's reporting up to this point, uh, the Piranos were not down and out mushers. These guys were doing very well for themselves over in New Zealand. Their dogs were in big time blockbuster movies like Thor, a Marvel movie and uh, Coca-Cola commercials and working with Uber and all sorts of other things. These dogs were high-profile dogs that uh, that they had in New Zealand. 
But I assume just because of the way this story plays out, it would be very difficult to get a team of sled dogs to North America, whether it be Minnesota or Alaska, in time to do a race. It takes a long time and a lot of money to do so. So they're going back and forth in this episode, just sort of painting a picture about these guys and how that they stiff others for their bill. And again, it's just sort of snowballing as we go. And as you see, both Tony and Michelle will will note, the anger is intensifying. Jody is getting a little bit uh, madder and madder through the 30, 40 minute episode or or whatever it is, Jamie is already hot-headed. She's hot-headed, <laughs> as as we know, from, from being old school anyway. And that's how she is in real life. And she is stern. And uh, she was making her way that way through this episode. So, again, I'm going to go back to, I cannot believe there was this much money owed and this much money changing, supposedly changing hands for a group of dogs. And I'm going to talk a lot about that in sort of my final piece with that uh, after episode three. But I'm going to turn the mic back over to Michelle. What's up? What I can't believe is that the the amount of money for sure, but no money actually was being turned over. How in the world do you get so deep into it and not ever grab some something to sustain the dogs? At no point... And, and this is coming from me as owning a dog training business where we board and train people's dogs on a regular basis. I have six here right now with me. Those six dogs that are here with me right now, their owners are required to provide them with the food that they need. That, the you know, that's just a given. Okay, so I have enough food for the dogs for the time that they are supposed to be here. If they run out of food, which happens from time to time, I will go and buy them the food that they are being fed. I don't just give them something else that gives them diarrhea. So I'm going to give them the food that they're being fed. And I'm going to charge my client when they pick up their dog for the food that I had to pay for. That is is something that should be just generally understood. I don't need an additional contract for that. Your dog ran out of food. I bought it here. I need you to reimburse me for that food, right? I I just really have a problem with the fact that these people were given, given the responsibility to take care of the dogs, Jamie and Dan, Jody. I'm sorry. Jody and Dan were given the opportunity to take care of these dogs. Great. That's awesome. Wonderful for them. But Kurt and Fleur had no premonition of, you know, it's going to cost you X just to feed these guys. Let us give you, um, let's set up some kind of escrow account. Let's get some money in it. Let's make sure you can take care of them right here and now for at least the next 30 days. We'll get more money into that account as soon as possible. I mean, I know it's hindsight is 2020, but what in the heck? So, Tony, I'll let you jump in here in just a second. But as as we're wrapping up episode two of the podcast, uh, there is money that changes hands. And I don't recall exactly what it was, but it, it's always a last second, sort of uh, the stroke of midnight when mm-hmm. uh, Kurt and and Floor pass over the money. And I'm going to end that uh, with, with the uh, ending of the episode. But before we do that, Tony, do you have any rebuttal or, or comment to what Michelle or I have already said? 
Yeah, just like you said, the money changed hands after Jody kind of made the ultimatum. And this was after, I mean, this was after COVID. Um, she finally reached out in, in, I believe it was 2022, and, and said, look, it's been going on now. We're at three years. Either you pay me in full and you get the dogs by, I think she had some date in October, or you pay me in full and then you prepay, like Michelle had said, you prepay for the rest of the time that they're here, or you don't pay me and I start rehoming these dogs. Um, and that's when suddenly $42,000 get magically transferred to her, but then nothing again. And I give Jody so much credit. She did so much sleuthing. She found out that Kurt was in Alaska, never contacted them. She hunted him down found where he was staying in Fairbanks at a hotel and uh, met up with him, just surprised him. And that's how we end up with Kurt finally getting the dogs and the third episode just gets even more ridiculously wild. It does. Yeah, it it says that uh, Jody had called a hotel or something and was transferred Mm to... To Kurt's room, he picked up the phone and he acted like, at least in the reporting, like, I don't know anything about this. What are you talking about? Like right? uh, the wool was pulled over his eyes. Now, you had said that um, 40000 ish plus was paid to them sort of at mm-hmm. that last stroke of midnight. And that is where the episode ends. And, and we talked just a minute ago about... Uh, the Piranos were not these uh, down-and-out mushers. They were doing very well. It's my understanding mm-hmm. that, that Kurt was some type of um, uh, defense contact contractor, worked in Afghanistan and, and all sorts of stuff. So he was a, a, um, a high-earning, if you will, individual. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. exactly what his wife did, but of course they had their, their tourism business. And boy, even right now, right before... Uh, we jumped on the podcast. We took a, lot, a look at their website, and it is flashy. We look at a lot of mushers' websites uh, in preparation for this show, and even though their trip advisor says they're out of business, they still have a very flashy website. And for unsuspecting individuals, mm-hmm. that's the first thing they see. They are not necessarily going mm-hmm. to listen to some outside, uh, you know, podcast that that not a lot of people know about. They're going to search a person's name and they're going to look at their website or their social mm-hmm. media and be picked up from there. Well, but- they're even going to ignore the trip advisor in a lot of situations because as we know, right. sometimes people get disgruntled and they'll put nasty things on Yelp and trip advisor about you. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, somebody will look at that and, and pass you up because of that bad review that may or may not mm-hmm. have been warranted. But in this situation, I know that there's multiple bad reviews, but their website is Stellar. It's absolutely it stellar. I would give them money. Yep. It, it, it is fancy. <laughs> it, it is fancy. So the episode ends, episode two ends by uh, Kurt or a handler or somebody shows up to Duclaw Kennel and packs up the remaining dogs and uh, they head south. They head all the way 
to LA to to work out arrangements to fly the dogs back to New Zealand. And like like Tony said, it's been a few years now. We've already gone through COVID. We've gone through the rigmarole of of putting this off for two or three years. One of them uh, died uh, of old age. Others were aged out. They definitely were not the race caliber dogs. And Mm -hmm. I say that very importantly. They were not the race caliber dogs that were dropped off uh, in in 2018 Mm -hmm. or whenever it was. I'm not sure exactly the date. I'm sure somebody will, will comment on that. But that's an important to note because... Uh, really competitive, high caliber race dogs have such a limited span of of being, you know, the best race dogs that you can be, and that's in that age from two and a half ish to about seven or eight ish. Dogs older than that typically are not competitive in Iditarod or Quest, or I'm sure they do fine in tours and that sort of thing, but uh, they definitely were not ultra competitive at the age that they were. But more importantly, a lot of these dogs, of course, they go back to Jamie Nelson's lines, but um, which is a very important line, by the way, from a musher's perspective. But they also go back to some very high profile Iditarod musher lines. So their, their breeding stock, if you will, will really uh, add up in the pocketbook. And I think that that's the big reason why uh, the Piranos wanted these dogs back so badly so they could bring... So badly? So badly. I'm so sorry. <laughs> if they wanted them back so effing badly to make money on them, Robert, they would have paid for them. Well, they wanted them back so badly because they had income to be earned from these dogs, whether they're retired out or aged out of Iditarod or whatever, if they could figure out a way, and it, it, it is, it, I assume that they had the means to do so. I mean, I, if, if I owed somebody $50,000 and they said, okay, you have until, you know, May 15th to come up with the money or we're going to rehome your dogs. Whether I owed them the money or not, there is absolutely no way I could drop a $40,000 uh, bank mm-hmm. transfer tomorrow morning. But somehow or another, I don't know why they put them off for all of this time and then just miraculously come up with 42000 or whatever you said, Tony, and wired it yep. overnight or whatever they did, and it showed up in the account. And wham, bam, they were there to pick up the dogs. I just don't understand why in the world, if they had the money to begin with, why did they go so far into debt if they had every intention Mm -hmm. of picking up the dogs eventually? Whether it was excuses of brain tumors and accidents and bad business or whatever, I just don't understand it. So before we close the episode, Tony... Well, isn't it that Dan said you can't understand crazy? Can't understand crazy. So (laughs) I'm going to give you guys, if you can, 30 seconds. Do you have anything else you would like to mention about episode episode one or episode two, Tony, before we head into part three? No, you know, episode three is where it really comes together. And there's so much, you know, you're talking about... Uh, those important dogs and episode three, it even goes even further into that once they get to LA. So I'll just leave it at that. And Michelle, anything from you? You know, 
Episode two rounded out with a cameo from Mike Williams Sr. that just made my heart smile. Mm-hmm. I love Mike. Uh, there's still a video, and this is a side, far aside. Uh, several years ago, I was doing uh, my schooling at the University of Alaska Anchorage, and we were talking about um, the native ways of uh, uh, food processing and you know substance living and all that. And I got a chance to sit down with Mike for for quite a while, and he was one of the most generous interviews I've ever done on my podcast. Just he was just so open, such a great he, man. I am so he glad gave that you some really sound advice for our daughter during junior. I did her. He did. So yeah, I, I have to give a shout out to, to Mike <laughs> Williams, Jr. And this sort of goes back no, to senior Mike, Mike Williams, senior, excuse me. This senior. goes back to what we were just <laughs> talking about, about the mushing community being such a close knit guarded community you know everybody knows everybody and most of us are so generous and kind and open-hearted and willing and and that's that's what was taken advantage of here and i think that that's an important note to end on so with that guys tell us what you think about our review of the underdogs on outside in radio outside in podcast uh subscribe wherever you're listening we will be back for part three very soon And uh, tell your family and friends, and we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.